Good morning again. It really is such a privilege to share in worship with you this morning, engaging in the celebration, the witness, the energy, and praise that remind us of and revitalize our covenantal connections as member congregations of this faith that we love. It is here that we gather under sturdy oaks of tradition, sheltered by borrowed shade, here where we plant seeds for future generations. I feel as if I have been laboring in a timeless grove for three years now, running my fingers over the rough and rippled bark of the religious dialogue of the day, seeking out the roots of our religious heritage that I might better understand our role in the ongoing conversation about how best to live into the possibilities of goodness and wholeness in our human strivings. When I left my position within the administration of the UUA to pursue a PhD in religious ethics and African-American studies at Yale, other Unitarian Universalists cautioned me that I would likely find studying religion in such a traditionally Protestant institution challenging. There was a belief that Yale simply didn't like UUs, that we were somehow too far afield from Yale Divinity School's understanding of the unique strength of Christian religious teachings to matter in that space. I'm happy to say that has not been my experience. There is no question that I'm clearer than ever about my Unitarian Universalist identity these days, yet I am also learning again how vital we are as guardians of an embodied, active, witness-bearing tradition that knows its own responsibility for carrying the faithful expectation of goodness and mercy, of justice and redeeming possibility forward into the world. Our stories are sprinkled throughout the histories and theologies that I am taught in a place that most folks said wouldn't want me. We are a part of that rootstock branching out into liberatory and theologically diverse branches and fruit. So I find myself laboring in the grove, wondering at what we are passing forward to future generations. As we head to Arizona for a Justice General Assembly, and I want to let newcomers know really briefly that we found ourselves in the position of committing to have our annual meeting in a state whose values on issues of immigration very much contradicted what we espouse as a movement. We had to make a decision. Do we join the boycott or do we go and try to lift our voices for justice in a different way? So as we head to Arizona, and we are in June, we are not only called to a new level of social witness for our annual gathering, we are also embodying the liberal arm of a centuries-long debate over what it means to live religiously in a suffering world. We are bearing witness, not only to our own commitments to justice and right relationship, not only to responsible citizenship and human rights, but also to our understanding regarding the roles and responsibilities of religious communities in society. Our faith commitments provide a very specific response to the question of what is the role of the church in the world. We have answered time and again with one voice, which we don't always do as a tradition, 
Time and again, we have answered that our congregations and societies are called to live their faith commitments by holding fast to a vision of justice and to making the world more fair. When Protestants and other Christians first began debating what would eventually become my scholarly field, that of social ethics, at stake was the very presence of the church in the broader society. That conversation, that debate over wisdom, is still being carried forward to this day. It centers on responding to Jesus' radical vision of a world so imbued and filled with the presence of the holy that peace, justice, kindness, and fellowship would remake the world as we know it. And while many among us might reframe this religious language, perhaps also understanding his radical vision of justice as one that draws on the best qualities of humankind, there can be no doubting that promoting full equality in human relations has long lived at the heart of our tradition, a center that we have expanded out to encompass the full sacredness of all life beyond merely a human focus. It is this knowing, this clarity of truth that calls us to build relationships with those we may not have known well before SB 1070 became a central media focus for the desperate injustice of our immigration laws, particularly in the state of Arizona. We are called, called, not just as individuals, but as an entire movement to bear witness to our belief in the inherent worth and dignity of every person as a central tenet of faith. The fundamental necessity of this teaching for the promotion of justice can be traced back to William Ellery Channing, not only our Unitarian forebear, but also a key liberal Christian figure in the debates over how to put justice at the center of American religious life. With my apologies, for the lack of gender inclusivity of his time, here are Channing's words on the subject. I have felt and continually insisted that a new reverence for man was essential to the cause of social reform. As long as men regard one another as they do now, as little better than brutes, they will continue to treat one another brutally. Each will strive by craft or skill to make others his tools. There can be no spirit of brotherhood, no true peace, any farther than men come to understand their affinity with and relation to God and the infinite purpose for which God gave them life. The reception of this plainest truth of Christianity would revolutionize society and create relations among men not dreamed of at present day. Channing planted a potent seed when he chose to align himself with this understanding of human nature, one where God's very purpose for our living is in the building of relationships, the generation of peace, the transformation of history, and the resistance against brutality in our society. We remember Channing for naming us as Unitarians. I would add that we are still sheltering in the shade of his fierce determination to counter oppression. This was Channing's response in a time when many argued that modeling the goodness of God in Christian living 
meant withdrawing from society as a whole. The debates could be visualized as whether or not to make our congregations into walled cities, separating the faithful, however we may choose to define that state of being, from everybody else. Should the community seal its walls, gather together and model within itself privately a world that is closer to the promise of peace and fellowship found within our sacred texts? Should it be as miserly about its borders as our nation is trying to be? Or should it throw open its doors, take its message to the streets, and breathe life into the possibility of such a world where all of us can live together every day? The debate is ongoing. Paul Razor has asked us this very same question in the past two years alone. And our answer underlies the very power of our organizing and the wealth and depth of our message. In his essay, Identity, Covenant, and Commitment, he insists that as Unitarian Universalists, we must be able to claim our prophetic work as inherently religious. Our failure to do so undermines the strength of our presence in our justice-seeking endeavors. And I agree with him that this is the place that we are most reluctant to live our lives wide open. It is more than time for us to come out as a faithful people. I am not suggesting that we weaken our pluralistic resolve. Our theologically diverse branches sustain us. Instead, I am agreeing that now is the time for us to be publicly vocal that our commitment to social justice is the very foundation of our free, covenanted fellowship. Now is the time to invest in a common understanding of why we gather in religious community. Razor identifies the power of our connections to one another, much as this congregation does, through the covenant that defines our tradition. He writes, our covenant includes a fundamental commitment to social justice, as, in clear, as is clear excuse me, in both the language of our principles and purposes and the historical practices of our tradition. Our approach to prophetic practice might look different if we truly understood it as a covenant obligation, as one of the clauses in our sacred contract with each other rather than simply as volunteer work that we might or might not decide to take on. Although not every member would take to the streets, all members would express and celebrate prophetic social justice work at the center of the congregation's religious identity when they sign on to the covenant. He goes on to remind us that our covenant calls us to build relationships with those we encounter outside our congregations, and also to hold one another accountable. This powerful reminder is one that I believe must be heard outside the bounds of the UU movement. When we show up boldly proclaiming ourselves to be a people of faith, we support other religious progressives in bearing witness to the common responsibility of religious communities in investing in a better world. Whether we understand ourselves to be the hands and feet of God moving in the world, 
or the manifestation of our own inherent goodness, we are still working together to shift the course of human history toward a time when love and justice are the primary ways in which we relate to one another. Faith matters. I cannot say that enough. Faith on our own terms. Faith in our willingness to come out as believing passionately and religiously in our commonly held values. Faith in that goodness inherent in human society. Faith in our ability to draw on that goodness and live into right relationship. To not be limited to the wretched and fallen sense of human nature that our religious forebears rejected so many years ago. Faith that we too have seeds worth planting, that our values, that our connections, that the risks we take to build community across lines of difference, those lines drawn by habit, by prejudice, by fear, that those risks are worth nurturing into the oaks that will shelter future generations of loving, justice-seeking people. This is the holy boldness that multiple generations of our ministers have been held accountable to by the faculty at Star King School for the Ministry. This knowing permeates our theological schools, and it has been wending its way through our movement. This is the wisdom that erupted in the thoughtful, accountable, relationship-nurturing conversations that led to the decision to create a Justice General Assembly come June. I know that in the last months, Reverend Small shared with you the richness of that process and the high feelings invested in those debates. What remains for us now is to embrace the full opportunity that was planted in those conversations. It can be challenging in the midst of February to remember that the winter months are also the dark, fertile times of nurturance, the times of rest and shelter that cradle life-bearing seeds of possibility. Now is when we give succor to what we most wish to bear fruit in the summer months. So what do you wish to bring to fruition come June? As we approach General Assembly, I cannot but be grateful for the work of so many lay leaders, religious professionals, scholars, and association staff who are modeling for us the profound importance of building relationship, of living into covenant as we head into another community to lift our voices faithfully. In my own current spheres of accountability, I have found myself asking what social ethics what the study of the role of theological teachings in the surrounding world may be, asks of us from a Latino perspective. Ethicist Miguel de la Torre has recently published a book answering this very question. He has important things to say, challenges that we will find hard to hear at times. Yet I believe this is what accountable relationship means. It means listening for new truths and leaning into discomfort. It means learning new ways together. As I engaged his text, Latinoa Social Ethics, one of the very first things I turned to was a critique of religious liberals getting arrested as an act of solidarity with the Latino community. De La Torre says in no uncertain terms that acting in solidarity with the Latino community is not about getting arrested, 
something he says many Latinos are in danger of experiencing every day and seek to avoid. Instead, he says it is about getting our hands dirty. His reminder that targeted members of Latino communities need on-the-ground assistance struck me powerfully. As an ethicist, he calls us to undermine systems of injustice, to take risks that put the spotlight on inhumane inconsistencies in our social institutions and to avoid putting those spotlights on ourselves. I am left dreaming of a movement where dirty fingernails are sought out as a sign of covenantal living, a sign of digging in the dirt, of seed planting, of bearing witness in messy ways. I have faith in our ability to be a movement that continues to show up knowing that we will make mistakes, check ourselves, seek forgiveness, learn, knowing that we will begin once again. The good news is that you can plant these seeds whether or not you decide to bear witness in the hot Arizona sun for a more just community for all. General Assembly is simply not possible for all of us. There are financial reasons, schedule reasons, and I know there are still many among us whose convictions will not allow them to invest financial resources in the state of Arizona. I am reminded again of Paul Razor, who calls us to live out our covenant wherever we may be. In Massachusetts, as many of you already know, you can join up with UU Mass Action or with Centro Presente to work on immigration justice issues. But above all else, I would ask you to hold fast to your Unitarian Universalism when you go. Remember what it means to be in a UU community. Remember that our congregations and our faith matter. For here, we create shade for the generations to come. May it be so. Amen. Ashe. And blessed be.